a church he longed to visit with in person, though. His final words are this in verse 17. I appeal to you, brothers. Verse 17. I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them. For such persons do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. And by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. For your obedience is known to all, so that I rejoice over you. But I want you to be wise as to what is good and innocent as to what is evil. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Timothy, my fellow worker, greets you. So do Lucius and Jason and Sospater, my kinsmen. I, Tertius, who wrote this letter, greet you in the Lord. Gaius, who is host to me and, the, and to the whole church, greets you. Erastus, the city treasurer, and our brother Quartus greet you. Now to him who is able to strengthen you, according to the gospel, or my gospel, Paul says, and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed, and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations, according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith, church, we say, to the only wise God be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this book in the midst of your greater book, uh, the entire Bible. And we thank you for this season that you've given to us to consider its words uh, for uh, the church in Rome then, but also to make application for us now. And Lord, we pray as we look at this final Uh, part of the letter, Paul's final words to the church at Rome, that we would uh, seek your Spirit's help for our church, uh, that you would uh, help us to live by these words uh, of warning and these words of praise. Uh, So God, may we be a people who are eager to consider these words for our lives this morning. We ask and pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, as, as I was considering these final words of Paul to the church at Rome, I was just considering what he said in these words. Uh, there are, as it would be, 13 letters of Paul. There's 13 opportunities to have a final word in the, each one of them. There's a final letter uh, of Paul uh, to Timothy that you could consider his final words that we have written. And yet, in each of these letters, he has final words, and his words here are words of warning uh, that we saw in our reading just a moment ago. And, and yet, this warning comes on the heels of 11 chapters of teaching, 11 chapters of some of the deepest and richest truths uh, that you can find in, in all of God's Word. Uh, that comes um, just before another five chapters 
uh, four or five chapters of practical application then. In light of this truth, then you are to live in this way. And then his final words here in this kind of concluding remarks and and benediction in the end is, is a word of warning. And as I was thinking about that setting and about that situation, it uh, reminded me of football, right? Wouldn't it remind you of football as well? Graham's saying no. Well, Graham, it probably reminds you of of choir and band, uh, orchestra, as you will. You've done all of this practice, all of this truth, uh, all of this training, all of these kinds of things. Uh, You have studied your plays, you've studied their plays, you've practiced against them, you've studied the music, you've studied the play, you've studied uh, whatever it is that you've done. And, and just before, uh, I remember this in choir. I told you about my choir experience before. I remember this in choir. You're like, you've done all the pra- practice and training, and, de- and right before you get to sing, your choir teacher says, remember Watch out for this. Remember, go back to this spot or those final bits of warning after all of that training. And the same is true in, uh, in, in sports uh, as a coach. You've done all that, that week, of, lots of training, a week of training specifically. You've practiced it. And then you get to the game and you have a word there or you may even call a timeout. And you say, okay, remember, watch out for this. They're about to do this. Look, if you see this, do this. It's kind of like that, that timeout in the midst of the game or that final word right before that, that song or that, that uh, concert that you're going to have of look out for this, watch out for this. And that's what Paul's doing here. He, he's told the truth um, in countless details. He's um, given us application of how this is going to be lived out in our lives And he has this final word of warning of watch out for this, lest all that truth get thrown out, lest all of that application to your life not be lived out. Watch out. And when you see that, avoid it. Paul's got several words here for us in these final words. And the first one I've just entitled a a warning, a a final word of warning. And we see it in verse 17. He says, I appeal to you. And this appeal is similar to his appeal. If you look over at chapter 15, verse 30, he appeals to the brothers at Rome there as well. And do you remember there in some of his final words, in some of his concluding words of this letter was, an appeal that um, this church, whom he had not planted, whom he had not visited, whom he had not met, would strive with him in prayer in hopes that he could take the offering to Jerusalem and eventually leave Jerusalem again and go back on mission and eventually visit Rome and be sent from Rome to Spain. And he asked them, he appealed to them, please, begging them, would you strive together with me in prayer? Uh, would, would you have angst in your soul? Uh, would you be devoted uh, in prayer for me in regards to these things? Well, in, in the same way, Paul appeals to these brothers, these brothers and sisters, Christians in the church at Rome, 
He says to watch out. Or in, in the present tense, this infinitive verb saying watching out. As you're going along, you're watching out for those who cause divisions, create obstacles contrary to doctrine that you have been taught. The command is at the end of verse 17. Avoid them. So as you're watching out for these people, once you see them, the command is avoid. Don't um, get up next to as close as you can and rub shoulders with them. Don't um, call them brother or sister. Definitely don't do what he told us to do in verse 16. Greet one another with a holy kiss. Uh, This is not whom we are to be showing those enveloping arms of embrace to. Uh, These who uh, do several different things. Look at who we're to be watching out for. Uh, The English helps us to remember these. Cause divisions, create obstacles, and contrary doctrine. Uh, Watch out for those who... uh, how. Those of you who have been with us, you, you will remember in the book of uh, Romans um, the great teaching of the unity in the body of Christ. From the very beginning of the book of Romans, chapter 1, verse 16, that Paul was not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to all who believe, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. And he would give chapters devoted to the unity that Jews and Gentiles could have uh, through faith in Jesus Christ. And so he's telling the church there, watch out. Be watching out for those who don't highlight the unity that we have through faith in Jesus. Be watching out for those who uh, cause divisions. Those who segregate themselves into smaller groups, not not seeing uh, the, the body of Christ being a people of all nations, a people of all tribes, a people of all languages, a people of all ethnicities. We ought to be watching out for those in our day and age as well. Are, are there groups that um, not uh, rightly cause divisions? They cause superficial uh, external divisions on things that that don't matter. Uh, when we see those things, Paul's words to us are to avoid. Or another descriptor of this group of people. They caused, uh, uh, not only do they cause divisions, they create obstacles here. Um, same word used in other places to describe a stone of stumbling or a rock of offense, which are applied. Uh, in, in, or spoken of in the Old Testament, then in the New Testament are applied to Jesus Christ. Uh, Jesus Christ is the stone of stumbling and the rock of offense, but these people are going above and beyond that and causing their own obstacles, their own speed bumps to be able to join the family of God. Um, they're, they're causing, literally the, the Greek word is scandalon. Sound familiar? It's an English word. A scandal. They're creating scandals, um, obstacles, speed bumps that are causing people to trip up over, stumble over. 
um, in getting to Jesus Christ. If there are people that are out there, whether on social media or popular podcasts or sermons that have lots of views that are causing divisions and creating obstacles, we're to be watching out for those things. And when we see them, um, the, the encouragement, the command of Paul is not to watch them to see what good you could pull out from them. The command is avoid them. Spend your time looking more at the truth rather than seeing if you can happen to maybe possibly find some truth in this um, sermon, in this article, in this person over here. We're to be watching out for those things, and when we see them, we're to avoid them. Um, not only that, though, it, it goes beyond and says that they're doing this by, with contrary doctrine. Again, cause divisions, create obstacles, and contrary doctrine. We've talked about in some of the past weeks um, some of the essential doctrine that believers have believed since the time of Christ. Those things in the uh, Apostles' Creed. Those things that are essential to, to faith. Uh, that we are saved by grace alone. Through faith alone. In Christ alone. According to the Scriptures alone. And for the glory of God alone. Those are some of the essentials of the faith. Um, that we hold fast to, but there are many who are in addition to um, causing divisions, in addition to creating obstacles, uh, or those things are some of the fruit of teaching contrary doctrine. A different Jesus, if you will. There are several what we would define as cults around us who, when they knock on your door... Um, will tell you that they're Christians as well. And yet, if you press in to see which Jesus are they talking about, you'll find that they have a contrary doctrine than you do in accordance with God's Word, whether that came from another book or another translation of the book. There are going to be people that you need to be watching out for, but it's not just those whom we would consider cults like Jehovah's Witnesses or Mormons. It would be others who would teach that salvation is not by grace through faith, but is by works, and that you won't know if you're really saved until that day when you stand before Jesus. It's not what the Bible says. It's a contrary doctrine to what we see in God's Word, what we've clearly seen in the book of Romans. Um, there are others who are going to teach a contrary doctrine that um, those who are called uh, of the Lord, those who call upon the name of the Lord and repent of their sins and believe on Him, as Jesus has said, are to take up their cross and to follow Him, to live a life uh, that endures perse persecution, that perseveres till the end. You're going to find people who teach contrary to that and say, no, following Jesus will wipe away every trouble from your life. And those things that you lack in this life are simply because you lack faith and you lack obedience to God. And so just 
uh, grow in your faith. Grow in your obedience to the Lord. And when you do, you'll enjoy everything that God has to offer for you. But that's just not the testimony of those who follow Jesus in the New Testament. It's not what Jesus called us to, a life of ease, pain-free. He called us to a, a life of faith and obedience, a life of persecution, a life of perseverance and endurance. So we, as Christians, we as a church, a local church, we need to be watching out for those things. And when we see them, Paul urges us that we are to avoid them. Not just once, but uh, present tense, continuously avoid them. Uh, We need to be regularly looking out for those things, and when we see them, regularly avoiding those things. For we know how, how often things like that may pop into our feed once, and even though we say, I would like to see less things like this on social media. After 30 days, everything gets refreshed again, and those things pop up again, and we have to avoid them again. Uh, We have to continue to go back to the doctrine. We have to go back to the only obstacle and stumbling block that we are to have, which is Jesus Himself. Himself. Uh, we are not to. We are to go back to unity, not to allow divisions for the wrong things. Paul Paul goes on in verse eighteen says, "For such persons do not serve our Lord Christ." Consider that for a second. They may have the title of pastor. They may have a, a ton of views and followers. They may say Jesus. Um, as many times as I. But if this is the result of their ministry, of their words, Paul says, such persons do not serve our Lord Christ. But who? Their own appetites. And by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. Notice they they don't deceive the hearts of those... uh, who are wise, as Paul will go on to describe in a bit, but the hearts of the naive, which is uh, kind of a a hidden charge to me at least, and a hidden charge to you to not be naive, uh, to be a a man or a woman of the Word, um, to be a a Berean uh, of sense, who you don't just take my words uh, as truth, but you go and you consider the Scriptures to make sure these things that I'm telling you are so. Uh, that you're not naive to the truth. And so, when someone says something that sounds good and well, uh, and yet is not true, you know that because you know what the truth is. It's the idea that you probably heard regarding counterfeit bills and counterfeit money. Those who can identify counterfeits can do so because they've studied the original. They've studied the, uh, the authentic first and foremost so that when they see something that's not authentic, uh, some mark on a counterfeit bill, they know automatically that it's, it's not right. Well, the same is, ought to be true of us as followers of Christ. We need to know the truth so that when we hear something 
that doesn't line up with what we know to be true, um, watching out, listening for those things, all of a sudden our hearts are aflame, our minds are alerted, and we're to avoid those things. And, and adults, parents, your kids can do this well. I, I, I probably noted this before, but, uh, and I didn't apply <laughs> this message uh, probably as well as I should because there were times when, you know, at nighttime, without cable, we would turn our TV on. It would always go to channel two or something like this. And on channel two at nine o'clock at night was Joel Osteen. And I would just say, watch that. Joy got so frustrated, just like, please, please, please turn this off. But I would watch it and listen and but it didn't take long for even children to come in and be listening to this and say, that doesn't sound right. That's not what Jesus said. Um, why is he smiling so much? You know, like, like those kinds of things. It doesn't take very long. It doesn't take much if you know the truth. But if you don't know the truth, man, it sounds so good. I want to I want to believe that. I want all of what he says to be true. I want all of what a lot of people that I don't listen to to be true. But it's not. And they're not serving the Lord Christ. Uh, they're serving their own appetites. And by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. Let's do some Bible work for just a second. And it's not that hard. Watch this. Flip one page forward. One page forward, you should be on 1 Corinthians. Or if 1 Corinthians happened to be on the last page, don't flip. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 17. Paul says, In the beginning of this letter to the church at Corinth, from where he is actually writing the book of Romans, chapter 1, verse 17, For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, and not with words of eloquence, eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. Or we could jump just over one column to chapter 2, verse 1. And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. We have to go back to Christ. We have to go back to the Gospel. And the Gospel is the good news that Jesus died and was buried and that He rose again for the forgiveness of sins for all of those who would repent and believe. This is what we have to go back to. This is the, the truth that we have to um, test every other speech, every other article, every other video, every other post online. And this is Paul's warning. His final words in this book, in this letter to the church at Rome is a word of warning to watch out and avoid such things. And he closes this warning in verse 19, for your obedience is known to all so that I rejoice over you but I want you to be wise. Wise as to what is good and innocent as to what is evil. And it sounds very similar to Jesus' words 
in the, in the like, uh, innocent as doves. Uh, he wants us to be wise as to what is good, innocent as to what is evil. But that is not going to be the case if we don't go back to Christ, if we don't go back to the gospel, if we don't go back to the word. Uh, we will be divided. There will be many extra obstacles and scandals dividing us. Um, there will be contrary doctrine running a flow if we don't continually go back to the gospel. We'll find soapboxes to jump on top of, and they may be good and well, but they're not the gospel. They're not what unify us. They're not the one and only stumbling block that, that Christ has put, for, put before us to, to divide us between those who believe and those who don't. And so watch out. Be watching out. And when you see them, avoid, Paul says. And in the midst of this warning, he gives us a, a little bit of encouragement, a promise, if you will, uh, where we find this warning, as you might have recognized as I read this last passage, is really sandwiched in between uh, a section of greetings, two sections of greetings. Uh, in chapter 16, 1 through 16, Paul was sending greetings to those uh, in the church of Rome and that w the church of Rome could have passed on his greetings to. Following this warning, Paul is going to send greetings from those who are with him to the church at Rome. And yet right here in the midst of this greeting sandwich, if you will, is this word of warning. Uh, the, the meat in between the buns of those greetings is this warning. And in the midst of the warning, there's a promise um, that while there are going to be people that are causing divisions, creating obstacles, teaching contrary doctrine, Paul says, just remember, just remember this that the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. I know it looks like the world is winning. I know it looks like they're attacking the church and are going to win out. But Paul says, just remember that the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. And some of you are thinking, if that was soon 2,000 years ago, uh, when is soon now? Is it sooner than it was 2,000 years ago? Well, duh. But nevertheless, it's soon. And we ought to be looking forward to it, praying that it would come about. And we ought to have that promise. Do you realize that's not a new promise, though? That's the oldest promise in the Bible being referred to again. Did you know that that promise was made all the way back in Genesis chapter 3.15? When Adam and Eve chose not to do what God told them to do, when God said, do not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they did it. They wanted to be more like God than they already were made in His image in that moment. And they ate. And yet, what follows that in the midst of discipline and consequences for their sin was a promise of God saying that one day, an offspring of the woman will crush the head of the serpent. And Paul is just going back to the oldest promise 
in the Bible saying that it will come to fruition soon. That uh, Jesus will one day crush the head of the serpent. And that all of those who've repented and believed in Jesus Christ and called upon Him for salvation will with Him crush the head of Satan. We can look at the world and, and it can seem as if um, that, that being, the church is being attacked from the outside and that we don't know if we're going to make it. We don't, we don't know. The culture is going to win out. But when Jesus talks about the church, he talks about it the other way around. He doesn't talk about the gates of the church um, being attacked from the outside. He says that the gates of hell will not prevail against the work of the gospel and Jesus Christ and the work of the church. The reason we think about it the opposite is because we get so focused on the temporary and the present, and we need to think again about the eternal perspective of things. And remember the promise of old in Genesis that's reminded to uh, us here in Romans that the God of peace will soon crush Satan under our feet. Remember Jesus' promise that the gates of hell will not prevail. They will not stand uh, against the Christ and against the gospel and against the church. And so even as we're watching out for uh, these things and avoiding these things in our world, we're to hold fast to this promise that the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. And Paul ends this, this warning and promise with a prayer, much like some of the prayers he prayed earlier in chapter 15. He prays here that may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. As we're watching out, as we're avoiding as we're holding fast to that promise that the God of peace will soon crush Satan, may the God of grace, may, may uh, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with us. Lord, give us more grace in this moment to be able to persevere. Lord, give us more grace to be able to endure. This is why John talks about the coming of Jesus is grace upon grace. And we need more grace, which is why Paul prays that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ may be with us as we're watching out, as we're avoiding, as we're holding fast to that promise. We need the Lord's help in this. And so would you let me just pause and ask for the Lord's help, that the, uh, God's grace would help us as a church to do this well. Let's pray. O oh God of peace, who will soon crush Satan under Jesus' feet and under our feet with Him. Lord, would You give us more grace? Would You give each believer in this place more of the grace that You have promised to us to be able to persevere and endure? To have eyes and ears and minds that are watching out for those contrary doctrines that cause divisions and create obstacles. Lord, help us to see them as the truth unveils them. Lord, let us as a church not be caught up by any of those things. 
Lord, let us as a church, let us as elders who preach and teach never hold up a doctrine um, that is not the gospel and that is not your word. Lord, let these church members be weary of any word we say even or any word others say uh, in this world that would lead us astray. Lord, let us be a, a church that is looking to You, and by looking to You, we're watching out for things that are not of You, not of Your Word. And to be aware of those things, let us hold fast to the promise, the oldest promise in the Bible, uh, that You will win. As we read in Revelation 22 before our time together this morning as a church, that there is a place being prepared for us. Uh, that Christ Jesus, where you have gone, there we may be also. So let us remember that promise, and Lord, give us grace to remember, grace to watch out, grace to avoid. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen. That feels like the end, but it's not. Uh, well, let's, let's go quickly through some greetings, some final greetings. As I said, this is a greeting sandwich. Um, and uh, on the, uh, let's say, bottom bun of the sandwich, if you will, are greetings that Paul is now sending to the church at Rome. Um, people, brothers who are with him, whom he wants to say, you know, as you do, hey, so-and-so says hello. They want to say hello as well. And there's a few here. And, and we don't have time to get into the details of these individuals, but like I said last week regarding the greetings that um, Paul was um, sending to the church at Rome to extend to others on his behalf, they have something in common. The greetings that Paul is now sending to the church at Rome are of people who are, again, in the Lord and fellow workers of the Lord, just like Romans 16, 1-16. The first one mentioned is Timothy. Um, if you've been in church any length of time or read your New Testament, you would have recognized that name. Um, this is Paul's spiritual son in the faith, according to um, the letters that bear his name, First and Second Timothy. Uh, Timothy here is defined as a fellow worker. Um, uh, in Second Timothy chapter two, Paul's final, final words that we have written, his final words to his beloved son in the faith, Timothy, uh, who became a, a pastor in Ephesus after traveling much with Paul, um, was urged in that chapter um, regarding the things that he had heard to entrust them to faithful men who would be able to teach others also. And so even right there, we see four generations of passing the truth on from Paul to Timothy um, to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. And following 2 Timothy 2, 1 and 2, in that chapter, there's seven pictures that Paul puts forward as what it means to be a uh, one worthy of entrusting the gospel to, one faithful to teach others also, and one of them is a workman. 
uh, a workman, one who uh, is rightly able to handle the truth, one who works hard at those, at those things. So it's uh, understandable that Paul uses that phrase here even earlier on in Paul and Timothy's life to describe him as a fellow worker. He's been traveling with him. He's, he's about the same things. He's proclaiming the same gospel. And Timothy sends his greetings. Um, so do Lucius and Jason and Sosispater, my kinsmen. These are likely uh, other Jewish brothers who are doing work with him, maybe in Corinth where Paul is writing this letter. Uh, Tertius has got to get his his greetings in here. I, Tertius, who wrote this letter, greet you in the Lord. And, and I, have a, I have a tool that helps me study the Bible that shows me which words in the Greek are emphasized because we, we don't have that necessarily in the English. Uh, this is why we have bold and italics to help show words of emphasis when we're writing things or all caps. Um, but Tertius is likely the person who's been writing this letter down on uh, paper, papyrus, uh, parchment um, for uh, it to be sent to the church at Rome. Tertius is writing these things, and so in his writing this, he emphasizes, I, Tertius, am, who, am, who are writing this letter, I greet you in the Lord. Um, 23, Gaius, who is host to me and to uh, the whole church, greets you. Gaius is mentioned in, in Corinthians as well as the book of Acts. It's li- likely the same Gaius who not only hosted the church, but is hosting Paul and uh, giving him a place to stay while he's traveling there and ministering to the church in that place. And also Erastus, the city treasurer, and our brother Quartus greet you. Interestingly there, there's historians who have actually found that, that name, Erastus, as a city uh, governor, city treasurer that dates back to the early first century. Uh, one um, who has his name inscribed even in stone there. So uh, interesting things to note there. But again, the highlight here uh, of Paul sending greetings to the church at Rome is that these are um, faithful brothers specifically, but he could have added sisters to this as well, but faithful brothers who have been entrusted with the gospel because they're both in the Lord and they're working for the Lord. And consider those two descriptions. Is that true of you? Are you in the Lord? Are you working for the Lord? For to be in the Lord means that you've repented of your sins and believed in Jesus Christ and Christ alone for your salvation. Paul's not sending greetings to or sending greetings from anybody who's not in the Lord or someone who's not going another step forward having been in the Lord who's not also working for the Lord. For anyone who is in the Lord ought to be working for the Lord. And so Christian church Member at the Fields Church, let's make sure that, that that describes us. For we as elders, 
we, we do our best and you as members do your best when we do a membership class and we um, take people under consideration for membership. It's not about how much are you going to give uh, or what are you going to do for us. It's are you in the Lord? Are you, have you believed in Christ? Have you repented of your sins? Have you believed? And are you wanting to work for the Lord? We as elders have to consider that as each of you have gone through elder interviews and have uh, shared the gospel and shared the testimony that you have believed the gospel uh, with us. And then we as members, we, can, we consider that as well. And then we hold one another accountable to do those things, uh, to hold fast to the Lord and to work for the Lord. And so these are the things that Paul not only sends greetings to, uh, to, but sends greetings from, those who are in the Lord and those who are for the Lord. But then lastly, Paul ends with this uh, benediction of praise, a uh, section of Romans that is probably more familiar to those of you who have been with us in this series because we have done our best to recite it as our benediction every time we have gathered together in the book of, of Romans, uh, one in which we spent a little bit of time in on the first um, sermon in the book uh, of Romans, looking at the larger sandwich of Romans. Um, but now we, we've finally got to and want to consider uh, these words, these words of worship that conclude this letter to the church at Rome. And, and it starts with these familiar words, now to him. Uh, now to him, this obviously being, as we see in, chapter, uh, in verse 27, God. Um, now to him who is able to strengthen you. Uh, this is uh, beginning to be a word of praise, a word of worship, um, uh, a doxology if you will. That's probably your subtitle just above this section. And it's, it's, that word means glory. Uh, doxa, meaning glory. And the study of glory and the glory of God being doxology. It's a, it's a word describing praise and glory that is only due to God, our Creator and Sustainer. Uh, God uh, the Father, God the Son, Jesus Christ, and God the Holy Spirit. And Paul, after giving us, like I said earlier, 11 chapters of truth of who God is, both God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, and giving us those four or five chapters of, of application into how we are to live in light of who God is from 12 to 15. And, and in these concluding remarks, Paul's finer, final words are praise. The, the last thing on his lips is, is praise to God for who He is, for what He's done, for what He's called us to, for the help that He's offering us in, in the midst of doing those things. And so Paul says, to Him, now to Him who is able to strengthen you. Strengthen you to do what? To believe and to live. To believe everything that he told us in 1 through 11 
and to live as he has told us to live in 12 through 15. He, God alone, who's able to strengthen you. Paul's making a clear statement that you're not going to find the strength to believe these things and watch out for other things and avoid other things in yourself. You need help from the Lord to be able to strengthen you to believe these things. You need help from the Lord to open your eyes to those things that cause divisions, create obstacles, and are contrary doctrine. You need the Lord's help in this, which is why you ought to pray. Pray that the Lord would give you that help and strength to give you that grace that Paul prayed for earlier. It's, it's the Lord who is able to strengthen you, not only to believe those things, but to live those things out. For we've, uh, we've all proven to ourselves that when we strive in our own efforts to live out Romans 12-15, through 15, we fall short time and time again. And when we realize that we've fallen short, we look back to Christ. We stand back up in faith, walking in obedience, in His strength and in His help, um, obeying Him all along the way. It's, it's the Lord who is able to strengthen us as individual Christians. It's the Lord who's going to be able to strengthen us as a church to persevere, to remain steadfast immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord our labor will not be in vain. And so we look to Him who strengthens us, and we praise Him who strengthens us. And He strengthens us, as you've heard me say, uh, three, different, three different things. He strengthens us according to, Paul says, my gospel. I have been saying for this past year, the gospel. Because Paul has a special place as one who was called by Christ and commissioned by Christ as an apostle of Christ. It was his and the other apostles' gospel to pass on. It was the church. The church was founded on the gospel of Christ and the teaching of the apostles, which is why Paul says here, my gospel. He's not saying that it's his good news over Jesus's good news. He's saying he was entrusted with the good news of Christ in a special way along with the other apostles that the church might be founded on that gospel. And yet every time I've recited it to you, I've said according to the gospel. Because I just want to point back to Christ. I just want to point back to the apostles' gospel, which was Christ and His death and His resurrection. Church, realize as simple as it sounds, um, Paul is saying that we owe worship to God who's able to strengthen us according to the gospel. According to the gospel. The death and resurrection of Jesus. And I know it seems like we should graduate from that when we're in kindergarten and that we need to learn more on top of that. But this is a theme that you will continue to hear every Sunday that you come back is that we not only need the gospel to save us, we need the gospel to sanctify us. 
We need the gospel to save us of our sins, but we need the gospel to strengthen us to live a holy life in accordance with our Savior. And even Paul didn't graduate from this. He knew that it was the gospel that saves, but it's the gospel that sanctifies and strengthens as well. According to secondly, the revelation, and this, this sentence is hard in English, so let's, let's work through it. According to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed, and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations. According to the revelation of the mystery. So it sounds like what Paul is saying, that there was a mystery that was concealed for a time. That would be the, the good news in the Old Testament, that they were waiting for the offspring of Eve to come and crush Satan. They were waiting for the Messiah but they didn't know who it was or what he would look like exactly. But when Christ came, that mystery that was concealed in the Old Testament had now been revealed in Jesus Christ. This is why the writer of Hebrews would go on to say, in the past times, it, things were written by prophets uh, and others. But now... Uh, God has been revealed in Jesus Christ most clearly. And so, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages in the Old Testament, who is the Messiah? Who is the one who's going to come? But has now been disclosed, has now been revealed. And not only has it been revealed through the prophetic writings, has been made known to all nations. The, the prophecies of the Old Testament uh, are said that they were written so that when they happen, people would trust the Lord. And so God made promises and prophecies in the Old Testament so that when they came about in Jesus Christ, people would believe. Paul said we're strengthened by those things. We're strengthened by those promises and prophecies that are now revealed and fulfilled in Christ. Because if those prophecies were fulfilled in Christ, then the promises that have yet to be revealed will one day be revealed in Christ, including that promise that He just gave us in verse 20, that the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. We're strengthened by those promises. For if the old ones have been fulfilled the rest will be fulfilled. But thirdly, according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith. We owe God praise for He is able to strengthen us according to the command of the eternal God to bring about obedience of faith. He's strengthened us by speaking life into us. Giving us new heart new eyes, new ears to believe, to see, and to hear the truth and respond in faith, to respond in calling out to the Lord to be saved. He, he's, he strengthens us in giving us His Word to follow Him as our guide. He strengthens us by sending us out uh, 
with a command to make disciples of all nations. Uh, And at the end of that command, we're given another promise uh, that He is with us to the very end of the age. The command to go and make disciples, uh, to proclaim the gospel, and to see others repent and believe is not something we're to do in our own strength. We're to do this in the strength of the Lord, to do this in the strength of the one who deserves all honor and all glory and all praise. And Jesus, when he commanded us to do so, he gave us a promise that he would be with us as we do it. That when we go out and share the gospel and evangelize and share the good news of Jesus' death and resurrection, that Christ is with us in those moments strengthening us to open our mouth, strengthening us to be bold for a moment, strengthening us to give us courage to remain steadfast and persevere through those moments. We don't find that strength in ourselves. We find that strength in Christ who is with us, in His Spirit who has been given to us. This is where we find our strength. And this is why Paul closes in saying, now to Him who is able to strengthen you. In verse 27 then, to the only wise God. Meaning there is no other God. There's no other wise God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, the only wise God deserves all glory now and forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen having spent a year considering these truths, considering their impact for our lives, uh, this is the right way to end, to praise, to give Him thanks uh, for all that He has done, not only in the past, but even in our own lives, um, and praise for what He's going to do in the future as well, in our individual lives, in our church, And to continue on this track, praising Him together as one church, finding our strength in Him, in the gospel, in the promises uh, that have been revealed and that will be revealed one day, Uh, and, and strengthened according to the command of the eternal God that He is with us always to the ends of the age. We can be encouraged by that, and we we owe Him our honor. Uh, all glory, all praise for who He is and for what He's done. Let me pray, and we will do just that in song. Father, we praise You and thank You for who You are, for what You've done, and revealing Yourself most clearly in God the Son, Jesus Christ, who died and rose from the dead, offering forgiveness of sins and salvation to any and all who would repent and believe. And we owe praise to You, God the Spirit, uh, who has been given to all who have repented and believed, fulfilling that promise that You are with us to the very end of the age. It's You who gave us life. It's You who strengthened us uh, to live this life for Your name's sake. And so, Lord, 
whether it was a specific truth that impacted us greatly in the book of Romans, whether it was a specific call on our life that has spurred us on to live more and more for your name's sake, or whether it was uh, this char- simply this charge that to you, the only wise God deserves all honor and glory and praise. May any and all of those things encourage us to do just that individually as followers of Jesus Christ and together as your church this morning. May we sing, may we praise, may we give honor and glory to you as only you deserve. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. So church, let's stand and let's do what we sang earlier this morning. Let's sing as never before to him who deserves all honor and all glory.